Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in L.A. and much, much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and for episode 35 of the Everything USC podcast, it's time to preview the 2021 USC football season and the week one matchup against San Jose State. My guest for this show is someone uniquely qualified to talk about both the Trojans and their season opening opponent because he was an offensive lineman for USC before going on to a distinguished NFL career that included a Super Bowl win, while his son and namesake is currently a star tight end for the Spartans. Derek Deese, it is awesome to have you on the Everything USC podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And of course, if you enjoy this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter if you want to reach out to me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Derek, any social media or stuff you want to promote? Let's get it out there. Yeah, my Twitter is Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K underscore Deese, D-E-E-S-E. And then my IG is Derek Deese. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The Everything USC podcast is also brought to you by Balance 7. So I don't know if you heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. He's been taking a new product he owes the credit to called Balance 7, which is a pH-balancing alkaline supplement drink. As we get older, all of us, but especially athletes who experience a lot of wear and tear on their bodies playing pro sports, are looking for products that can keep the body working at a high level. That's where Balance 7 comes in. You can see how Balance 7 has helped Lamar. He looked good in a celebrity boxing match against Aaron Carter. Head to Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE for free shipping. Balance7.com and use the code BLEAV for free shipping. If it worked for him, it can work for you too. 
after playing a truncated conference-only 2020 season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, finishing with a 5-1 record, the loss occurring in the Pac-12 championship game versus Oregon, and turning down a chance to go to the Alamo Bowl, the USC Trojans enter 2021 ranked 14th in the preseason coaches poll and 15th by the Associated Press. There are 18 returning starters, 8 on offense, 8 on defense, plus the place kicker and punter, and we'll talk about most of those guys in just a bit. But first, there are some big names that have moved on from USC, whether it was to the pro ranks or transferring to another school. Left tackle Elijah Vera Tucker, wide receivers Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns, and running backs Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepp on the offensive side, defensive lineman Marlon Tui Pelotu, safety Talanoa Hufanga, and cornerback Elijah Griffin on defense have all played their final games as Trojans after being big-time contributors the past few seasons. Derek Deese, out of those guys I mentioned, who do you think USC will miss the most in 2021? Oh, I think they're going to miss Hufanga. I think he was the guy that hyped up, fired up, and ran amok for that defense. And uh, you'll miss a guy like that. You know, he's a special type of a safety. I was actually surprised he wasn't drafted higher. But as you can tell, you know, it's not where you get drafted. It's what you can do. And, you know, he's fighting for a starting spot with the Niners right now. Yeah, as a Niner fan, and I know you're a former 49er, I was thrilled to see him drop to the 49ers that low in the draft. And of course, people think he's kind of a tweener. But like you said, he just makes plays. He has a nose for the football. And it's good to see him having some early success in the preseason with the 49ers. And let's talk about who's coming back now. Obviously, the stars on offense, quarterback Keaton Slovis and wide receiver Drake London return for their third year together. And if they do well, like everyone hopes they do, they are probably the next ones to be moving on to the NFL. The whole starting offensive line besides Vera Tucker is back, but there is a new offensive line coach, Clay McGuire, who has air raid experience from stops at Texas Tech and Washington State, is now the new OL coach for USC. How important do you think that unit is going to be to the Trojans' success in 2021? It's important every year. Games are, are won by offense and defensive line. I mean, that's just the way it works. You know, if a game doesn't go well, it's always the offensive line and defensive line's fault. And so you got to win the battle up front and having guys ready and prepared and understanding their jobs and their assignments and how well they can gel together and how quickly they gel together is really what it's about. And having a new offensive line coach, which, by the way, I don't understand the issue in the first place because I thought Tim Drevno, I thought he did a great job while he was there. Yeah, I think they just wanted to bring in someone that Graham Harrell's familiar with and has experience coaching a lot with the air raid, which is, of course, the offense that USC runs now. Right. Part of the issue was that the running game was very ineffective last season. And can the running game be more effective this year? You have Vivai Malapai returning, Texas transfer Keontae Ingram coming into the program. Keenan Kristen's still around. There's a couple of other guys in the mix. They brought in freshman Brandon Campbell, Texas high school stud. And I think they're hoping to maybe improve off of what was not a good year running the football last year. Do you think maybe that's what some of the changes up front are going to have to do? 
Well, I think you always have to have a running game, especially, you know, the running game always opens up the pass. And, you know, last year, I don't think would reflect on a lot of teams based off of how, you know, the practice schedules went and how, you know, spring ball was cut short and then summer ball was cut short. And then the season was pushed back and, you know, dealing with all the COVID stuff. It was a rough time for every, every school. And some schools were able to flourish under that and some didn't. So I understand, you know, the change or whatever. I just didn't. I didn't agree with it because I think he had had such a, a long run there and it was a situation where I thought maybe it was an unfair change. And so we shall see how it all works out for SC. Obviously, they brought in a lot of young offensive linemen in the 2020 class. So we'll see how many of those guys will step up and maybe get more of a role this season. Now flipping it over to the defensive side of things, You've got some good guys coming back. Outside linebacker Drake Jackson is probably the biggest NFL prospect on the Trojan roster. He returns along with safety Isaiah Polamau, cornerback Chris Steele, and inside linebackers Kanai Mauga and Raylan Goforth to come back and lead the defense. And on the front line, Nick Figueroa and Tuli Tuipolotu, Marlon's younger brother, are back. But the buzz is all about the top freshman recruit in the country, Corey Foreman out of Corona Centennial High, an old high school teammate of Drake Jackson. He is coming in. How good do you think Corey Foreman can be right away as a true freshman? I mean, obviously, he has all the hype. It's really about, you know, his work ethic. And obviously, his work ethic will show when the season starts. He's played on the big stage all through high school, obviously, so that's not going to be an issue. You know, sometimes you have guys that come in and they get in the big stage and they get a little bit shocked, but he won't be shocked at all. Just staying humble and doing your job and not trying to do too much and not buying into the hype. He could be a real good player for him for a few years. And obviously, I think a lot of USC fans are looking forward to seeing what he can do. He's a guy who grew up liking USC, but there was always a thought that because of the way the program has been in recent years and just a lot of the exodus of California high school recruits, the top guys going to the SEC, to the ACC, Big Ten, and just outside of the footprint of the Pac-12, do you think that that was just a big signature win in recruiting to show that USC is on its way back? I don't know. I mean, you got to remember, I don't think a lot of guys leave the Pac-12. I think if you look at Oregon's roster, you'd say <laughs> you'd say well, something Oregon is the because... one that is, yeah, they are the ones maybe <laughs> bucking that trend. But like, you know, Bryce Young's at Alabama, DJ Uyunglele's at right. Clemson, you know, right. Spencer right. Rattler out of Arizona's at Oklahoma. So that's just been kind of the big talking points in the last couple of years. Right. No, it is. It, it has been a big talking point, but a big talking point for SC really is just how are you losing all these inner city kids, the California kids, especially the LA kids, especially when someone says, you know, some of the big coaches are talking about, you know, you, you take a, a 10 mile radius around SC and that's like the best recruiting that you can do in college football. So that is uh, one of the things by grabbing one guy, you start looking at, okay, look, we got one, let's get two or three next year and four and five and get back to where we're pulling back all the kids that grew up watching USC, wanting to be a Trojan and so forth and get them back into the school. So hopefully we are on the way back to getting our inner city kids back to wanting to be a SC Trojan. The mantra is take back the West for USC, and they are trying to do that. Corey Foreman's a great start. They also got Rayshon Davis out of Modern Day, another good recruit locally who decided to stay home. So 
Good things are hopefully coming for USC there. And, of course, special teams had been an issue for so many years with SC. It was much improved last year in Sean Snyder's first year coordinating that unit. Punter Ben Griffiths and kicker Parker Lewis are both back, along with the long snapper Damon Johnson and kick returner Gary Bryant Jr. But there are no current Trojans who have a punt return with USC. A couple of the wide receiver transfers, KD Nixon, at Colorado, and Jake Smith at Texas had punt returns there at their previous schools, but obviously this is their first season at USC, so we'll see if special teams can continue an upward trajectory in Sean Snyder's second year as the coordinator there. But let's talk about the head guy, head coach Clay Helton, and again, it always seems like he's on the hot seat, which is why in the couple of years that I've done this podcast, it started out as a USC football podcast, transitioned to being everything USC, but we've had the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll on Twitter, and so I put it out yesterday to see what people think going into the season, and the way I do the scale, it's based on chili peppers. So the hottest chili pepper out there, the Carolina Reaper at 2.2 million Scoville heat units, that's the measurement of how hot chili peppers are. That's the top one on the list, followed by the ghost pepper at just over a million Scoville units. Then the habanero, which is at 350,000, and then cayenne, 50,000 SHU. So put this poll out there on Twitter. The results came back. 50% of the respondents voted that Helton's hot seat is at the Carolina Reaper level, 17% at ghost pepper, 33% habanero, and none chose cayenne. So... A lot of the fans out there still feeling that Clay Helton's seat is pretty hot. This could be a make-or-break year for him. How much pressure do you think is on Clay Helton to succeed this season for USC? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the hottest pepper out there. Obviously, I think he has to be successful, not just with winning the pack. He has to go a great distance in playoffs. I think SC's at a point now where they, you know, they want to be on the map again. And they haven't been there for a while. And so he's had more than enough time to make that happen. And this is the year he has to make it happen. Overall, how do you feel Clay Houghton has been as a coach for USC? Personally, I think he's a, he's a great guy. I just think when it comes towards what SC has always wanted football-wise, I think he's been spotty. You know, it's on and off. It's hot and cold. It's almost like icy hot. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's... uh. Some games you're saying like, okay, I, I see what's going on. And then the next game, you're like, where did this come from? You know, and like I said, it reflects no ill will about how he is as a, as a person. Because I think as a person, he's a great guy. I just think you have to look at what SC is about. And when it comes to the football, you know, we don't play. And so at some point, you have to be successful and you have to win. And you got to get over that hill and that hurdle. And he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, I totally agree with you. As I stress on basically every show we talk about Clay Helton. I think he's a great guy. He definitely was a guy who came in and helped clean up some of the issues around the program. But just bottom line, as a college football coach, I don't think he's great as a football coach. I think he's a great person. I just don't know that he's the guy who takes USC to that championship level that all the fans want. So this is going to be a very big season to see where he ends up and for me I think 
the least that has to happen for him to survive at least another year is that USC has to win the Pac-12 conference. Would you agree with that assessment? I think that would help. I mean, obviously they got to win the championship, but I just don't, I'm not sure that that's even enough to be honest with you. I really think he has to go deep in the playoffs. You know, winning the Pac-12 isn't enough anymore to recruit kids. And it used to be like that was all. But now that you have a playoff system and everything else, you got to get into that. Kids want to be into that part. They want to be talked about when no one else is playing. And if he can't get deep into that, and that's why Clemson and, and Alabama, Ohio State, that's why these schools are pulling in all these all these kids. It's because they get deep into it. And they're always into it to win it at the very end. And that's what you have to be. And SC used to be that school. And uh, when they get back to there, guess what? It'll be a powerhouse again. And everybody in LA will be wanting to go to USC. Everybody in San Diego will be wanting to go to SC. Everybody in Orange County will be wanting to go to USC. It'll be the same thing coming out of Northern California. It's just an automatic recruiting tool. Yep. Success breeds success. We've seen that throughout the history of college football. So now let's take a look at the Trojans' schedule, obviously beginning with San Jose State this weekend, and then they'll host Stanford. That usual early season Pac-12 opener always seems to be against Stanford, whether it's up at the farm or in L.A. Then they go on the road at Wazoo up in Pullman. Oregon State back in the Coliseum, and then opening up October in Boulder, Colorado against the Buffaloes, and a big game at home against the Utah Utes after that. Then they get a week off before making the trip to Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, for the classic intersectional rivalry between the Trojans and the Fighting Irish. That is followed by the Arizona Wildcats at home. A two-game road trip to Tempe against ASU and Cal up in Berkeley before coming back home to finish off the season against crosstown rival UCLA and then Thanksgiving weekend against BYU. So what are your thoughts on how this schedule works for USC? It's not an easy schedule (laughs) by far, but they get breaks in between. You know, I think the break definitely before the Notre Dame game is big for them. That should help them out. And it's, it's about the halfway point of the season. So if they do have any injuries, that gives you some time to get those guys back and ready and full go for the second half of the season. So ultimately, you couldn't ask for a better bye week. And as far as the rest of it, you just got to take it game by game. You know, you can't look ahead. They are in the rotation where they get to avoid Washington, avoid Oregon, Oregon right now yeah. with the Pacific Northwest team. So you would say that should be beneficial for USC to not have to play those two teams during the regular season and hope to maybe just catch one of them in the Pac-12 title game. So in theory, I agree. I think the schedule sets up pretty well. If USC can live up to the billing, I think going into that Utah and Notre Dame stretch is going to be really huge for the Trojans. So based on all of this, what do you think the SC chances are to win the Pac-12? Well, I'm an SC guy, so I'm, I'm going to go high. <laughs> I'm I like the optimism, high. Derek. I like it. Hey, I, I don't I don't have a choice, man. You know, that's my school and I'd like to see my school on top, to be honest with you. So I'm going to say it's real good. All right. I think they're going to make the Pac-12 title game. Unfortunately, right now, I just think Oregon has our number and they've got a ton of talent, a lot of it from the LA area. And so right now I have Oregon beating SC in the Pac-12 championship game. Hope I'm wrong. 
I hope SC comes out and proves me wrong, makes me look like a bad Trojan. But right now, I'm not sure that they can overcome the Ducks. So based on that, you've got them winning the Pac-12. You think that that will get them into the college football playoff then? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll get them in. I think that'll get them in, and I think that's what they need. Overall, like I said, I don't think Clay's the guy, but, you know, like I said, he's a good guy. I'd like to see, you know, my school in it at the end and getting back to where it needs to be and back on top and everybody talking about SC. And instead of at the beginning of the year, everybody's saying like, hey, we we got a good team. We got a good team. I want to hear at the end, we had a great team. You know, that's what I want to hear. We have a lot of players. We get a lot of recruits. We get a lot of guys that can play, a lot of guys that go on to the NFL and so forth. Now we just got to translate that into winning back to winning championships in the college arena. Well, I hope you are right and that I am wrong. We'll put it that way. Okay. (laughs) Again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast. I am Nara Wang. My guest today is a Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers and a former USC offensive lineman back in the day. His son now plays tight end for the First opponent of the season for the Trojans, sounds a state. I am, of course, speaking about Derek Deese. And if you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or you can go right to the Believe website at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. For me, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Derek, let the people know how they can reach out to you. Twitter, you can find me at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K underscore Deese, D-E-E-S-E. On IG, it's Derek Deese. And on Facebook, it's Derek Deese. Hey, Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Now, Derek, it is time to preview week one against San Jose State. The Spartans will be visiting the Coliseum for the fifth time ever. USC has won all four previous matchups in the series. The game will be starting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time on the Pac-12 network. and. Local radio, KABC, 790 AM. The Spartans have already played a game this season against Southern Utah, an FCS team in Week 0, so they've got a win already under their belt. Last season, one of the most successful in San Jose State history, they went 7-1, and won the Mountain West Championship. The only loss came in the Arizona Bowl, 34-13 to Ball State. Head coach Brent Brennan has done a tremendous job turning around the program in the Bay Area. Brennan, of course, has experience in the Pac-12. He was a player at UCLA and then coached as an assistant up in Oregon State for quite a while before returning to San Jose State and helping turn the Spartan program around. We need to talk about the fact that in the last game, against the Spartans that USC played. It was 2009, a big-time USC win, 56-3. to But the most notable fact about that game is that it was the first time a true freshman quarterback started for USC in a season opener. That was, of course, Matt Barkley. But 
This is a different Spartan team. This is a different USC team. Let's talk about some of the key guys on offense, first of all, for San Jose State. They've got a sixth-year senior quarterback. That's right, sixth-year quarterback, Nick Starkle, who began his career at Texas A&M, went to Arkansas, and then transferred to San Jose State last season, where he threw for over 2,100 yards on 64% completion percentage, 17 touchdowns to 7 interceptions, and he began the season with a 16 of 27 performance, 394 yards, 4 touchdowns, and 1 pick against Southern Utah. In the backfield, 5th-year senior running back Tyler Nevins leads the way in his 40-game Spartan career. He has 1,975 yards on the ground and 12 touchdowns. He had a pretty good game against Southern Utah. 12 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown. They've also got a stud left tackle in Jack Snyder, 2020 first team All-Mountain West selection. He's in his sixth year in college, has made 41 career starts, including the last 29 at the left tackle position. And of course, there's this six-year senior tight end named Derek Deese Jr., 42 catches for 491 yards and seven touchdowns in his Spartan career. Broke out last season, named honorable mention All-Mountain West and a John Mackey Award semifinalist in the opener against the Thunderbirds. He had three catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. So let's talk a little bit about that guy who has the same name as you, Derek Deese Jr. Really, his kind of journey to college mirrors yours because you came out of Culver City High School, went to El Camino College, a JUCO, before you ended up at USC. Your son, coming out of high school, also went the JUCO route to Golden West College and then ends up at San Jose State. So talk about the journey that your son has made and now he's turned into a really good player for the Spartans. Well, I think it was a well-traveled journey. I'm, I'm a big JC guy and I think sometimes making that jump from high school to college, it doesn't really help some kids. It teaches some kids sometimes at JC level, like, hey, look, how bad do you really want it? And uh, what are you willing to do to get where you need to get to? And I I think that's what happened with me. You know, I had the grades. I was being recruited by some small schools out of high school. You know, I was hidden a little bit by my coach, my head coach. So I didn't really get all the exposure I thought I should have gotten. And then I go to El Camino and I blow up. And the same thing happened with my son, pretty much. He went to Kennedy High School. He was being recruited heavily out of there. Wasn't really ready, I didn't think. And so he went to Golden West. The head coach there was Nick Mitchell, who's still there. And he blew up as a receiver. That's what he was. But I knew, and I think everybody else who knows football real well around him knew that his position was more of a tight end. And that's where he was going to be best fit for him, especially if he wanted to try to make it to the next level after college. And so he then gets recruited by Coach Brennan. And, you know, you take your trip and Coach Brennan is great with the kids and he's an old school type of coach. He doesn't take any kind of games and he's really about school. And, and the program was in a building form pretty much. And so it was special. It was a special feel I think my son felt. I mean, I was there and I, I could feel what was going on there. And so he signs there and he came out of high school early. So he left at 17. So I felt like he needed definitely a red shirt year. Didn't get a gray shirt year as a JC transfer. So when they redshirted him, it wasn't 
any kind of bad feelings, especially because you still can play four games, <laughs> which is right. Which the is new great. rules, right? The new rules. I mean, those rules weren't around when I played, so it was great for him to be able to do that. And last year, you know, he really focused hard on his run blocking, and he's always had the catching ability and the leaping ability. You know, he was an all-county basketball player in high school, so that wasn't a problem. I think the run blocking is what people were worried about and thinking, like, okay, what can he do? you know, blocking wise, is he going to be able to hold up? And so he's been able to do that and he's gotten better at it. And every year it's got better. And this year he's over 250, he's like 252. So he put the weight on that he needed to put on and he's still doing good things. So I'm excited to see obviously the rest of the year, but I'm excited to see this game for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what people were saying about your son is that they weren't sure if he could be a blocker because he had come up as a wide receiver. But adding on the weight and getting the extra years, like getting this extra year to play again, I think is only going to help him out. And I think he's already proven he can catch the ball. So yeah. I don't think people are worried about that. So if he continues with the blocking, I think he's definitely going to be a good prospect at the next level. And he's going to be counted on to catch the ball a lot, though, as a couple of the losses that San Jose State did have were wide receivers Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither, two of the top guys they had catching the ball last year. So we're looking forward to seeing Derek Deese Jr. play against his dad's alma mater this weekend. And when you look at the offensive rankings from last season for the Spartans, a lot of ways they're similar to USC. They were 36th in total offense, over 430 yards a game, 62nd in scoring at 28.5 points a game. Not great in rushing, 94th in the country at a little over 132 a game, and then 19th in passing at 298 and a half yards a game. So similar profile last season as USC did. Now let's flip over to the other side of the ball. On the defensive side for San Jose State, they've got a fourth-year junior safety, Trey Jenkins, who was second-team All-Mountain West last year, led the team with two interceptions and two fumble recoveries, and was the only Spartan in 2020 who had a sack interception, fumble recovery, and forced fumble as part of his stat sheet. The leading tackler on the team was senior inside linebacker Kyle Harmon, had 78, three of them for a loss and half a sack, and forced the fumble last year, which got him on first team All-Mountain West. His 9.8 tackles per game was 28th in the nation in 2020, and he started out pretty well, nine tackles, one for loss against Southern Utah. Fourth-year sophomore defensive end, Viliami Fahoko had 36 tackles, 12 and a half of them for loss to lead the Mountain West, six sacks and a fumble recovery last season. Got him first team all Mountain West recognition, and he's on the 2021 Polynesian College Football Player of the Year watch list and began with a quiet game for him, two tackles and a pass breakup against Southern Utah. And then Senior defensive lineman Cade Hall, 10 sacks in 2020, which was second in the country in sacks per game. Another first-team All-Mountain West player for the Spartans, named a 2020 All-American by the Sporting News, and was the 2020 Mountain West Championship game defensive MVP with three tackles for loss and two sacks against Boise State. And there's a nice connection here because his father, Rhett Hall was a defensive lineman in the NFL, and in 1994, he just so happened to play on the same Super Bowl champion 49er team as Derek Deese. So why don't you talk a little bit about that relationship, having Cade and your son on the same team after you had been a teammate of his dad, Rhett, with the Niners? 
Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting ordeal. You know, when I found out Kate was going there, it was kind of funny because I ended up running into Rhett. And Rhett and I, you know, we kept in touch all these years, but it was more of a, uh, hey, the Dees Hall thing is going to continue to go, <laughs> you know, because they play against each other all the time. They practice each other all the time. They can make each other better, I think, at every practice. And that's exactly what his dad did for me and I did for his dad. So it's a great relationship there. I think Cade is is a phenomenal player. Just like, you know, you listed some of his achievements already. But, you know, I think people underestimate the guy sometimes because of his size, but his heart and his determination is second to none. And so I'm looking forward to seeing him play on, on the big stage with SC and see what he can do. I think Trey White's another guy that people uh, have to be aware of, and Trey Jenkins. Those two guys I think you have to really look at. Ryan Nixon, who was a transfer in this year, is another guy that, you know, he comes in and, and plays, and he's a guy you got to be aware of also. So there's guys that you, you look at on that team and you say, like, man, they fit and they match up. Athletically, I think you're looking at a team that's comparable. I, I mean, I'm not a guy who – buys into the five stars and the four stars and all that stuff. I don't buy into that because I think heart determination and will are something that's not measured when they give you those stars. And that stuff right there is, you know, guys that go to like a school like San Jose State, they look at it and say, look, you know, we were overlooked. And sometimes when you feel like you're overlooked, you're disrespected. And so you always want to have a chance to prove yourself. Yeah, guys who play with that chip on their shoulder can be dangerous, especially when a lot of them on that team have come from Southern California as well. So they want to stick it to USC a little bit for maybe ignoring them when they were in high school and not recruiting them. And well, you know, you know, Ryan Nixon is the nephew of another Trojan by the name of Willie McGinnis. That's right. That right. <laughs> so it's going to be a good deal. You know, it's going to be a fun game, an exciting game. I think defensively what they did in their first game, they did what I felt like they should have done. I don't think they played down to like the opponent. I think they played San Jose State football and that team, I mean, they play real good team ball. They play for each other. You can see it on the field. It's a feeling. They're not scared of anyone. You know, Kyle Harmon, that linebacker, he's a beast. Sideline to sideline player. I mean, it's just, you look at that defense and you go like, man, that is a defense that you would like to have. So I, I can't wait to see what they can do on Saturday. Yeah, and the numbers last year bored out. In 2020, they were the 26th ranked total defense in the nation, 15th in scoring defense, allowing less than 20 points a game, 20th in rush defense at just over 120 yards on the ground a game, and 57th in passing defense at just under 226 a game. So they're carrying it into this year, and we're going to see what kind of test they provide against the USC offense couple guys to mention on the special team side they've got a fourth year junior place kicker in Matt Mercurio who's been honorable mention all Mountain West the last couple seasons and they brought in a grad transfer to be the new punter Will Hart who twice made all Big Ten teams at Michigan so a guy coming from a big time level program to San Jose State as their punter so now let's talk about the game itself and what USC needs to do to get a win And you already mentioned the fact that San Jose State got to get a game out of the way against Southern Utah, and you felt that they didn't play down to the level of an FCS team, and they got to play in front of fans, over 16,000 fans at the home stadium. 
I know it's got a sponsor now, Steph Q Stadium. I'm always going to consider it Spartan Stadium because I grew up in Northern California. My dad's a San Jose State University grad, class of 1972. The first year it became San Jose State University. It used to be San Jose State College before that. And I grew up in the Santa Cruz area. The first sporting event I ever went to, I believe, was an old San Jose Earthquakes game at Spartan Stadium. So I'm always going to refer to it as Spartan Stadium. And they got to play in front of fans. So does San Jose State maybe have a little advantage at the start of the game? Because USC hasn't played in front of fans in a while, but San Jose State did last week. Not only did they play in front of fans, let's get it right. They played in front of 16,000 fans, which is the most that they've had. It set a record. It's a big deal for you to play in front of fans. And I think when you come down to it, you know, it's great to get that out of the way. But I think what's better is just playing against another team, getting those first game jitters out of the way and being able to see what you can do against someone else. And I think SC is going to have a little bit of rest in the beginning, you know, no matter what. And it's just for SC, they've got to put the foot to the pedal. They've got to go hard right off the get. They've got to start fast and finish fast. You can't overlook a team. And when you overlook a team because they say, oh, it's just San Jose. Well, it's not just San Jose. This whole program has changed. It's a program that, that has won the Mountain West. They have something to prove. Most of their guys came back. Lost very few. So, you know, this team is still put together. They've jailed. That offensive line is jailed. The defense is jailed. Quarterback and obviously the tight end are better, compatible together. The backup receivers from last year now are starters. And so they're gelling. You can't overlook this team. And if you do, it's a big mistake. And USC, like I mentioned last year, one of the worst rushing teams in the country at 120th in the nation. 97 yards a game, but they were 11th in passing at nearly 320 yards a game. So do you think the offense for USC needs to balance run and pass, or can they get away with not doing that against San Jose State? No, you can't. You, you have to balance. You have to balance with this team. They're going to be ready. Like I said, it's a whole different deal when you have something to prove. You know, you think a rival game is something. A rival game is great. Yeah, it brings energy. And you can throw all the stats out the window and whatever. Well, this is a game that San Jose State has been waiting for and looking forward to. And obviously happy to get. It puts them on the big screen. You know, it puts them where everybody's going to be watching it. And at the same time, you want to have a good showing. It's your program. The coaches want to have a good showing. You have to come out ready to go on all cylinders. And SC is, is a program where you can't really, if you're San Jose State, you can't afford to make mistakes. One mistake puts you down, another mistake puts you down. So you can't have, you know, mistakes. You know, it's always about the turnover battle. <laughs> you know, you can't afford to lose the turnover battle, and they can't afford to do that. I and mean, at the same time, they can't afford not to play a pretty close to perfect game. And so it's, like I said, this is going to be a game where I think you're going to see some good football. I think you're going to see a team that's ready to go. I don't think it's a team like you see what happened with UCLA and Hawaii last weekend. And so I think it's going to be a different type of a game. I'm glad you brought up the turnovers. That was something I was going to mention because USC has been maligned for that in recent years. In 2019, they were 119th in the country in turnover margin per game. They had a minus 10 total turnover margin that season. Last year, they were able to bump it up and they were plus five and jumped up to 17th in the country in turnover margin per game. So that's going to be a key for USC to continue to improve on that side of things. And then penalties. Both of these 
schools are actually pretty close after last season's stats are looked at as they were 85th for San Jose State and 87th for USC in penalties per game. The difference came in penalty yards where SC had 71 penalty yards a game while San Jose State had just a little over 56 and a half penalty yards per game, which means that USC was getting some of the bigger penalties, the personal fouls, unnecessary Mm -hmm. roughness, taunting, holdings, some of that. And that's been an issue that Clay Helton has been criticized for, the discipline of this USC team. So when you look at that and you take into account, like you said, this is not your old San Jose State team. This is a team that is good, has talent, a lot of returning talent that has success last year in winning their conference. Who do you think are the couple of key Spartans that the Trojans have to key on to make sure that they don't get off in that game? Well, one we didn't even mention too much or talk too much about when we talked about the offense for San Jose State, and that was Tyler Nevins. You know, he had a breakout season last year. He had almost 100 yards in the first game this year. He's a big back. He runs with a lot of power. He can go. And it seems like he gets stronger as the game goes on. It doesn't, he doesn't get weak and break down. He gets stronger and stronger and stronger. They've got a key on him. Obviously, they've got a key on Starco. And then they got a key on Deese. You know, those are the guys that they really have to key on. The problem is, is that after watching the game over the weekend against Southern Utah, there's other guys that obviously make plays. And there's guys that they don't know about and guys that they haven't been able to really see on film. You know, Sam Olson, he's one. He had like a 70-yard touchdown. That's because they keyed on Deese and then he drew the safety and then boom, he's wide open down the middle. So there's things that you have to look at and you go like, man, this could be like a pick your poison type of offense, the way it's set up. It's like, you know, hey, do you stop this guy? Well, if you stop this guy, then you better make sure you have somebody that can stop the other guy. And so I think if they get their running game going, I think that it's going to open up tremendously in favor of San Jose State. All right. So now it's time to get to our always fun prediction segment that we do here on the show where we get to pick what's going to happen in the game. The first thing we do is the players we believe in, which is who we each think is going to be basically the MVP of the game for USC. And then we'll do a game score and then a prop bet. So starting with the players we believe in, I will start it off. And I had a hard time. There were a lot of guys I was looking at And I decide to go with Drake Jackson on the defense. I think the linebacker is poised to try and get this season started off great. He's got his old buddy Corey Foreman now with him on the team. And I think he wants to prove that he lives up to the standing of being USC's top NFL prospect. So I think a big game for Drake Jackson to start off against San Jose State. Derek, who do you think is going to be the top Trojan in this game? I'm going to have to go with, uh, geez. That's a rough one. Let's go with Drake London. I like it. Drake and Drake. Drake and Drake. Let's go with Drake London to have a big breakout game and show, you know, that he's obviously one of these receivers that you need to pay attention to. All right. So I'm going with the defensive Drake and Derek Deese is going with the offensive Drake to be the players that we believe in for game number one. Now let's pick the game score. And just so that everyone knows, the USC Trojans are a 14-point favorite on Bet Online, who is, of course, a sponsor of this show. So go there if you want to get in any of your sports betting needs. But the Trojans, 
two-touchdown favorite in this one. I don't think they're going to cover. I think they are going to win. I'm going to go with USC 41-30. So they don't cover, but they get the win. Derek, can you make a pick for me? What do you got? Oh, geez. You went with 41-30. Yep. I'll go 42-35, but I won't tell you who wins. (laughs) Oh. I don't know if I can allow that, Derek. I think you have to pick a winner if you're going to pick. I know you, okay. you've, got, you've got a son involved. I understand that. Hey. But this could be motivation if you pick uh, against him. Hey, look. I'm going to go 42-35 San Jose State. Okay. I'm going for the upset. Going for the upset. Going for the family ties. 42-35 San Jose State in a shootout. So I've got 41-30 USC. We'll see what happens with that. And then now it's time for the prop bet where we each get to pick a random stat or occurrence that we are just going to guarantee is going to happen in the game. It might be crazy. It might not make any sense, but we're saying it's going to happen. Something for you to keep an eye on in the game. So for me, I'm going to go with the fact that I believe there will be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored in this game. I don't know by which team. I'm just saying that either the Trojans or the Spartans or maybe both are going to get a defensive or special teams touchdown that is what I call Nara's no doubter. So that's my prop bet pick. Derek, first of all, what are you going to call your prop bet pick? You got to have a, a funky, cool title for it. And then what is your pick going to be? It's called the double down with the deezer. The double down with the deezer. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the double down with the deezer. And I'm going to go with back will rush for 150 yards. A back on either team. On either team. Over 150 yards. All right. Yes. I like that. And by the way, I think that's more likely Tyler Nevins than USC. <laughs> and that would lead into your pick of San Jose State winning. So I see where you're going with this, Derek Dees. Hey, I see what you're hey, doing here. Hey, hey, Tyler Nevins. I, I could see that working 150 yards, led by the way of Dees Jr., you know, blocking his way through for him. So I, I can see that working. I can see that working real well. So to recap our predictions, players we believe in. I'm going defensive side, Drake Jackson. Derek Deese going offensive side, Drake London. For the game score, I've got USC winning 41-30, but failing to cover the two-touchdown spread. Derek going with his family, going with San Jose State, 42-35 in a massive upset. And then in our prop bet, Nara's no doubter is that there will be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored in the game. And the name is awesome. The double down with the Deezer, a running back will rush for at least 150 yards in the game. So those are our predictions. Again, these are for entertainment purposes only. If you go and use them and it doesn't work out, well, this is the disclaimer, basically. So that's what it is. It's all for fun and, of course, We look forward to seeing if these things will actually hit. I will be keeping track of my predictions against my guests all season to see how I do. Last year, I won 8-4, to so hopefully I can repeat my title there, but we shall see. And again, this is the Everything USC podcast. If you want to get this show, you can subscribe, download, rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Go to the website as well, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter, 
at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Derek Deese, my guest today, former USC offensive lineman, a Super Bowl champion with the San Francisco 49ers. Where can people reach out to you? You can find me on Twitter at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K underscore Deese, D-E-E-S-E, on IG at Derek Deese, and on Facebook at Derek Deese. This is Dane Bland, head coach of the USC women's beach volleyball team and Olympic gold medalist. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Derek, so I cannot let you go without talking about your career. We talked about your son having a similar journey to yours, but I want to get a little more in depth. And of course, like I mentioned, I grew up in Northern California. I'm a 49ers fan, so we got to get into some of that. But you start out, like I said, at Culver City High School, went on to El Camino College, and then finally to USC. And again, being a JUCO guy, when you got to USC after going through that journey, did you feel you had to work extra hard because you were a JUCO guy coming into big-time USC? No, I, I didn't feel like I had to work extra hard. I felt like I was really prepared leaving from junior college to play at the next level. When I came out of junior college, I was the highest recruited offensive lineman in the country that year. And so I felt like I had been prepared, you know, by my coach, Coach Gene Engel. I felt like he had prepared me for the next level in college football. And that, you know, obviously just by the recruiting that was going on with me from different teams and so forth, that I was ready to go. I didn't know what my strength was and, and what my weaknesses were when I got to college. So I had to work on those, work on the weakness part. I felt more if I had a shot, but I didn't even, I didn't think when I went to college, I didn't worry about playing in the NFL. You know, what people don't know is that the first NFL game I went to is what I played in. And so I never thought about playing in the NFL. I actually wanted to be a, a police officer. And so I went to SC because at the time, Daryl Gates was the police chief of Los Angeles and he was an SC grad. And so I was, you know, you make your little ways in. <laughs> hey, the SC family. I see family, exactly. And so that's what I was doing. And then uh, my coach at the time was John Matsko. And he made a comment one day that said, hey, you just let me coach you. You know, you can make some money in this. And I was like, make money in football? Like, okay. Well, then that's when things changed to a whole nother level for me. And, you know, you start doing extras and you start, you know, really honing in on your craft. And you made sure every day you did something to hone in. There was never a day off. When you read those little slogans that say no days off, that was truly something that I did. What were your favorite moments as a Trojan, whether it's on or off the field, actually? Favorite moments were the team building stuff that we did. You know, we would summer camp, we would go to Irvine. So we would get away from USC and we would go and practice at the University of Irvine. And, and that was a big deal for me because not only did we practice there, but the Rams practiced there. And so you got to see some of those guys coming in and see what they could do and see how they prepared and so forth. And at the same time, we did, you know, it was a lot of team building. You're there by yourself. You're learning your teammates. You're learning things. And it helped out a lot when it came to gelling with your teammates and understanding them and things like that. And that's interesting because I think that's what San Jose State did last year when they went to Humboldt. And I think they did it again this year. So I think that's something that people don't look at and understand like what it really does when you get away from where you see on a daily basis to go somewhere else where you're kind of far away, you're on your own, and it's just nothing but football. You don't have nothing outside to really worry about. 
And I got to hear, what's the best game story from your USC playing days? One of the best game stories is playing at UW. It was actually my first year there. And uh, I was just telling my brother this story the other day is that you walk in when we played UW, we used to walk in through this tunnel and it was a gate and it was like two separate tunnels and they would close the gate to one side and it sent you into the visiting locker room. And then once we were all in, they would close the gate and they would send the home team into the other side. And that's just to start getting dressed. Well, then when you're coming out, the visitors come out first and that gate is closed and you're like, okay, the gate's closed, but it's dark inside that tunnel. And all you see is kind of like some light at the end of the tunnel, which is sending you onto the field, obviously. And so as you come down, they let like maybe a third of the team get through. And all of a sudden you just hear this barking and this, this grabbing and shaking of the gate. And it's the Washington Huskies barking and going crazy in this tunnel, letting you know, like, Hey, yo, we're coming. And you got, if you're a first year guy, you turn around looking like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're in shock. Like, wait a minute, man, what's going on in here? And so, it's a neat thing in football. It's an experience that you look back on and go like, man, that was pretty cool, you know, and things like that. So that was one of the big things that I thought was pretty sweet. And then obviously playing at Notre Dame is another big one. You hear about it, you see touchdown Jesus and all that stuff. And so that's, those are things and moments that you can't take back. And so after you finished up at USC, you went undrafted, but you did get signed by the 49ers as an undrafted free agent in 1992. Did you feel you had to like prove yourself all over again because you didn't get drafted? Yeah, you definitely do. And you have a lot of people that tell you like your chances of making it are, are slim and none and, and slim is on vacation and you can't buy in on that. You just got to believe in yourself and know that, hey, you can play and you keep moving forward. And the more you do that, the better things are. If you start worrying and reading about press clippings and so forth and all that stuff and buying and what people were saying it's a lot harder for you so every year I felt like I was having to prove myself and every year I was doing that and every year it got better and better and better for me you know my third year was my first year starting which they tell you in the in the NFL is like you know hey look by your third year you gotta you gotta make some noise and so that was my first year starting we ended up winning the Super Bowl that year you look at how the game plays itself it's usually about three and a half years is usually the average to play in the league. And so when I retired, which was 14 years later, from that 92 draft class, there was only one other player in the league at that time, and it was Jason Hansen, who was a kicker. So I think I had proven my point. I think I had shut up all the critics. Yeah, and especially you had adversity to deal with right off the bat. Your first couple seasons, you were injured and didn't get to play, and then you finally got in in 1994, break into the starting lineup at right guard and go on to win Super Bowl 29 over the San Diego Chargers. So was that a redemptive season overall for you to show that, hey, you know, you didn't get to play those first couple of years because you were hurt, but you had the talent? Well, yeah, hurt. And let's be frank about it. You know, the Niners really didn't have a lot of guys that came in as rookies and would start and some didn't even really play. It just didn't work that way on the offensive line there. And so uh, I think Harris Barton was one of the only ones that had done it when I was there. And so the fact that I got to start my third year, which is like on progression of what's supposed to happen in the league. Now you start saying, okay, look, I can make things happen. And then playing a right guard, like you said, was one thing. Then getting moved to left tackle and 
saying like, man, I haven't played tackle since I was in junior college because I didn't play tackle at SC. I played guard. I was a junior college tackle, left tackle. I went to SC, decided I wanted to play guard because that's where all the athleticism was at SC because you did, you know, student body right and left, which was the guards pulling out in front and running backs running behind you and all that, making cut blocks and open field. So when I got to the Niners, it was a similar type of deal. But then, you know, somebody goes down and they say, hey, look, we need you to move to the left tackle. So then you move to the left tackle. And then they, they say, OK, hey, look, we got another fire. We, our best guy is the backup left tackle. So now we need you to move the right tackle. So now you move the right tackle. Then you go to left guard. Then you play a little bit at center. So by the time I retired, I had played all five positions. I was one of like three guys that had done it at that time in the league. And so it was a big deal. You know, it was a real big deal. And the saying, the more you can do, <laughs> right? it really fit my uh, situation. So I think my best season I look at is the year that I had to play. I started at left tackle for the first two quarters. The third quarter, I would move to the right tackle spot. And then I would come back to the left tackle spot in the fourth quarter. That year was a real hard year for me, but it was a year that I think showed the different versatility that I had. My last two years at the Niners, I didn't give up a sack. It was great. You know, I had, I had a great time playing in the NFL and I wouldn't change it, you know, for the world. And like I said, you know, not really being a kid who grew up knowing a lot about the NFL or even going to an NFL game, having that one aspect of, the first game I went to is the first game I played in. And people go like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, nah, I'm serious. And so that says a lot, you know, and then it says a lot, obviously, for my work ethic and so forth. And like I tell kids all the time, like, I can't tell you how to get drafted in the first round, but I can tell you that, you know, the things that you can do on your own that require no luck is really have a great work ethic and commit yourself. That's great advice for everybody. And so I just need to know, what was your favorite moment of winning that Super Bowl? Favorite moment of winning the Super Bowl, I'll tell you like this. I got some advice from Jesse Sapolo, who was playing the other guard at the time. He had been the center the two years before that. He said to me, he said, look, treat this like a normal game. Don't treat it any different. And so we played the game. We won. Played against some guys that I knew growing up, and that was great. Played against Junior, you know. And so it was fun playing the game. It really did not hit me that I had won the biggest game of them all until we were in Colorado Springs and, and they, they uh, handed me my ring. And at that point, when I got my ring, like your hands just start shaking and you're looking at this ring going like, man, I won the biggest game of there, that there is, you know, and that's when I really realized like, man, this, this is crazy. And when you do it your third year, you think like, okay, and so I won it, you know, I'll go back. Well, we had a guy on the team. Richard Dent, who had played with the Bears, and he hadn't gone back. And it was 10 years later <laughs> yeah. that he was going back. And so you don't think of it like that. But then here you go 10 years later down the line, you're looking at it going like, man, I haven't been back to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I played in a number of NFC championship games. We were always in it, always in it to win it. And every season was not considered a uh, success if you didn't get there and win it so you know the organization itself was a class act what they teach you as you play and understand you know becoming a man and things like that and what is expected as an athlete is unprecedented at that time when I was on the Niners you know everybody was trying to emulate 
the Niner organization. And obviously it's been done now <laughs> by several organizations and so forth. So it's good that, you know, you were on the first one, you know, you were the first, I was on the first team to win five Super Bowls and all that kind of stuff. So those things all pay off and work out great for us. Before I let you go, besides watching your son play for San Jose State, what else is Derek Deese up to nowadays? Derek Deese helps out at a high school in Orange County, helps out with kids, teaching, you know, technique and coaching and things like that, and really just enjoys himself, you know, tries to give back wherever he can. That's great. And how often have you made it back to USC since you finished playing in 1992? I try to get to at least one game every year. Sometimes it doesn't happen. A lot of times it's myself and Junior Bryant trying to go to the Notre Dame game every other year and whatnot. The Deesha will be in the house (laughs) this weekend. I love it. I love it. So this is a big matchup, obviously, for you and your family. USC taking on San Jose State. Two o'clock start on Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. If you're watching on TV, KBC 790 AM. If you're listening locally in LA, and I'm sure you can find it on Sirius as well. And Derek, it has been really a thrill and an honor to have you on the show today to talk on the Everything USC podcast with me. Hey, I appreciate it. Anytime, you know, I'm glad that I was invited on. I'm glad I got to make my predictions. (laughs) Hopefully they all come true. (laughs) And we will see next week on the next show how you and I did on those predictions. And we'll be keeping a tally of how I do against my guests all season long. So for my guests, former USC and NFL offensive lineman Derek Deese, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 35 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network. Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A., and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. So I also thought, though, that we were going to pick players on San Jose State side. I didn't know I had to pick all the players at once. You know, I thought we were picking on both sides. You mean the players, the top players of the game? The game, yeah. I thought we were picking both teams. I didn't know we were picking for the whole game. Yeah, I was just picking for, it's, I mean, it's a USC podcast. We got to pick the USC guys. So. I, no, we don't have to always do that. No, it's it's this, family on the other side. I, I understand, <laughs> because, but I, that's the thing. We knew, we knew who you would have picked if we were going with San Jose State guys. I mean, I would have well, picked them, I, probably. Uh, well, you would have picked them. I would have actually... I would have gone with the quarterback. Oh, you Nick. would have gone with Nick Starkle. Okay. Yes, because he would he's the one who's gonna deliver those balls and so therefore he would get the yards and then therefore he would the quarterback always shines, you know that. Right. Well you the know. quarterbacks is just too easy a pick though. I mean that's why like you can't pick like Keaton Slovis every game. You can't you know, like you know, that's the quarterback's too easy a pick. So listen, I, I think or, I, or I or I would have picked or I would have picked offensive line, you know this. Yes. You got yes. a guy out for the outland and, and you know he's he's an all-american so you know i i think he has to he has to block your guy so <laughs> right that is true so, so yeah there are a lot of guys to choose from but we're right. limiting it to usc for the players we believe in because this is the everything usc podcast thank you for listening to believe 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.